Hey, it's Adam. Welcome to our weekly teaching podcast here at South Hills Church in Corona, California. Our hope is that as you listen in, you'll find yourself laughing and learning and being challenged and encouraged to grab hold of who God has made you to be. Enjoy the message. The title of my message today is Long Lines and Love Lives. Long Lines and Love Lives. Now, I have a confession to make, and this is maybe a little bit controversial, a little bit of a hot take. I hate going to theme parks. I do not like it. Um, I know that's like a, a dangerous thing to say in the backyard of like Disneyland, Universal Studios, Knott's Berry Farm, Magic Mountain, like all these incredible places. I don't like it. And there's one reason why. Lines. I hate lines. I hate waiting in line. Um, it, it's miserable. And, uh, and if you didn't think it would get, get even more miserable, take a bunch of children with you and stand in that line for like four hours and it's, it's frustrating. It's annoying. I don't like it. And, and uh, what, is, what tends to happen is, uh, you know, we get, we want to go on a specific ride. And so we get in the line for that specific ride and we wait for it. And then it breaks down. It seems like the ride, the one ride I want to go on always breaks down. Usually when I'm in line for that ride, and then have already sunk a lot of time in waiting for that ride. And then it's like, I don't know what to do, right? They make that announcement. They're like, right now, this ride, you know, you could go do something else. We're going to try and get it back up and running. And then you're like, I don't know. What should I do? Should I leave? Should I stay? And you've already committed like an hour 15 into this wait. And so you're like, maybe just a little bit longer. What if it's only another 15 minutes? And so you wait. Some people leave, but most people wait as well. And you're all sort of waiting around. And, and every time somebody walks by with a tool, you're like, oh, oh Oh, maybe this is, is this it? Is this the guy? Is he going to do, oh no, he's not. He's just talking to his friend. He's just checking on his shift. You know what I mean? And, and like hours go by and eventually you're just like, we got to, this is stupid. Like we're wasting the whole day. We got to leave. And this always happens. As soon as you're like, let's be done. And you leave the line and you've exited the thing and you've gotten all the way out. Then they make the announcement and the ride starts up again. And you're like, are you kidding me? Seriously? Like, I waited five hours, five minutes after I get off the ride. Suddenly, you just magically fix, and it feels like maybe you're cursed, like something is going on. And, you know, if you're like me, you're just like, this is stupid, right? You have to make the ride dumb in your head so that you don't feel as bad. You're like, it's not even a good ride anyway. I don't even want to go on it. <laughs> stupid. Like, and, and as you're telling yourself that, then the first crew that got to ride it comes off, and they're smiling and happy and being like, oh, it's so worth the wait. And you're like, I hate these people everything they stand for, everything they represent. And it's so frustrating because now you're like, what do I do? Do I get back in the line? Do I go get in another line? Do I just like, because I'm so upset, do I just go get a frozen lemonade and go home? Right? Like, I don't know what to do. And you know, half the day is now burnt. I had a one day pass and now half the day is gone. And I wasted most of it here on this dumb ride. It probably isn't dumb because everyone seems like they're having a good time on it. And you're not really sure, like, what to do. And the worst part is that you know, because you talked about how excited you were about that one ride, you know as soon as you get home, all the people in your life are going to be like, how was it? Did you ride that one ride? And then you're going to have to be like, no, I did not ride that one ride. 
And then they're going to ask you like, oh, that's a bummer, man. Like, uh, we've ridden it and it's really great. Like, um, do you think you, you still want to ride the ride? And you're like, yeah, probably someday. And they're like, when, when do you think you might want to ride the ride? And you're like, I, I don't know. And they're like, we, we would love to see you ride the ride because we've always enjoyed riding the ride and it's been a big deal to us. Like, who, what type of person do you think you might want to ride the ride with eventually? Because there's this guy at my work that I feel like might be a great potential rider for you. Some of you have figured out, I'm not really talking about rides. Um, or theme parks, because I think this is sort of what it feels like to be single. Like everybody else has someone and you kind of want to find your someone and everybody else has made it very clear that they would love for you to find someone, sometimes to very annoying and embarrassing links, and you've tried. But it just, it, it feels like you are stuck in a line for a broken ride they may never let you on. And you feel like you're just waiting, worried that maybe your life won't make sense to you or be taken seriously by others until you finally find your person and settle down. And what makes it even more panicky is maybe some of you are looking at your life and you're like, I got a a, a one-day park hopper. I only get one life. Half of it's over. And I feel like I've burned it waiting in a line. And I don't know, is it me? Is it it the ride? I I don't know. And in case it's been a while since you've been single, you should know that this, some version of this idea uh, came up over and over and over again these past couple weeks as I've talked to different single people um, in my life and in our church asking them about what it feels like to be single. And this came up over and over and over again, particularly from single women, which is why I want to begin today by making a few things clear before I get into everything else I want to say. And um, I want to just explain to you that from a biblical Christian perspective, there are a couple truths that we need to latch onto right at the get-go. The first thing is this, singleness is not a flaw to be fixed or a condition to be cured, okay? Like, it's kind of weird. It's almost like uh, a lot of single people are just like, I feel like I'm leprous. Like, everyone's trying to vaccinate me. You know what I mean? Like, we got to get you out of this situation. Like, what situation? Living my life? Like, and being a person? (sighs) Not good enough. Oh, geez. Right? Like, there's this constant, like, pouring over them. Like, we need to do the thing to, like, get them out of this horrible hole that they're in, you know? And this is not uh, the Christian worldview on the subject, and I'll show you why in just a minute. I think the second thing that we need to get straight at the beginning is that success in life is becoming more like Christ, not simply being a couple. And sometimes we get this twisted, right? Like, oh, you'll have really made it, and you'll have, like, you'll have done what God wants for you if you can just get married, right? There's a lot of married people whose lives suck, you guys, Some of those married people are even Christians. That's the reality of it. Um, I would say, like, it's not like someone has made it or someone's worth taking advice from or someone's worth being mentored by simply because they're in a couple. Who cares? Does their life look like Christ? Do they follow Jesus? Is the, 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 the singleness that they're operating in or the married relationship that they're operating in, does it function in a way that honors God? 
and points to Christ. These are the more important things. Listen to what the Apostle Paul wrote. This is in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, starting in verse 7. And I love Paul because he just says what he means and gets right to the point. I wish everyone were single, just as I am. An unmarried man can spend his time doing the Lord's work and thinking about how to please him, but a married man has to think about his earthly responsibilities and how to please his wife, which takes a lot of time and energy is what he's trying to say. That is, he summarizes by saying his interests are divided. And it's the same for a woman. Uh, verse 35, he says this, I'm saying this for your benefit, not to place restrictions on you. Right? I'm not telling you that you should do one thing or the other. I'm just saying you could do either and have a great life. He says, do whatever will help you serve the Lord best with as few distractions as possible. Verse 38 says this, so the person who marries does well and the person who does it does even better. It's kind of funny because like some of you who've grown up in Christian circles, you're just like, oh man, I, I just thought like everyone need to get married or you're, there's something wrong with you. And here's Paul like looking at all the married people and be like, suckers, I have so much free time to do so many amazing things with my life. Oh, you're not gonna be able to pursue that goal because you got a wife and kids. That's a bummer. But I'm gonna learn how to ride a motorcycle because I have time and I have no wife to tell me that I shouldn't do that because she's afraid I'm going to die. No one is afraid I'm going to die. It's exciting. So I just want to tell you, like, despite what other Christians might have said to you or pressure they may have put on you, Scripture does not agree with them. In fact, I, this is, the I think, the most ironic thing about this whole discussion. The two most, unarguably, the two most famous Christians ever we're single. The Apostle Paul and Jesus. Do we really think like, man, Jesus would have been real great if he would have just gotten married. Got really wasted his life. Can't take advice from him. He's single. What does he know? Sort of ridiculous. I mean, if you take away the impact of these two people, there's no New Testament at all. And that's really the point that like, Paul is really trying to make here in this passage in Corinthians, that romantic relationships require so much of people. And being single means that you can invest all of your time and effort and energy and attention into things that make the world a better place, which is a gift. I mean, we don't, we don't actually do that, but I mean, like, if we did, it would be incredible, because let's be real, like channeling your relational angst into serving God and serving your community isn't normally like our first impulse, right? This is what Paul is like, oh man, you've got such a great opportunity. And most of us are like, doesn't feel like an opportunity, which is why I stayed home just pining over what I wish I would have had and doing this, you know, thing to numb out, to make me feel a little bit better. And Paul's like, oh man, don't waste it. Like, you'll get married or you won't get married, but like, don't waste your life waiting around to get married. Do something with this season that you're in. Paul's saying like, being married is, can be amazing and being single can be amazing and they also both can make you miserable. It depends on how willing you are to work 
at making the most of whatever season you find yourself in. And that's ultimately what he continues to tell us over and over and over again in scripture. Like, be real about where you are and what you want and work at making the most of whatever season you're in. Don't leverage it as an excuse not to live your life and be yourself. And I think a question that this ends up bringing up, all this stuff, is, okay, that's great, but like, if I want to be in a healthy relationship, like what should I look for and what is it that I should work on? If I, if I should be like dialed into this season, making the most of it, that's great, but like I would like to eventually move into another season. I, I would love to like maybe find someone. I, I get that maybe I shouldn't have obsess over it and put my life on hold until I discover it or find it. Um, but what is it that I'm looking for and what is it that I'm working toward? And um, I actually think that like, the list of both those things, it's the same list. But I want us to sort of mine this section of Old Testament literature, at least as a starting point. Um, and this is a piece of literature that was written by a queen to her son, the prince, who was single. He's like the most eligible bachelor um, in all the land. Now it's starting to sound like a fairy tale, but this is like an actual piece of the Bible. And she's just like, listen, you're going to have a lot of opportunities. There's like a lot of ladies out there. Uh, I want to just be real specific about what it is you should be looking for. And so she writes this passage to him. And I think this is interesting for a lot of reasons, but it's also one of the only passages of scripture, of wisdom literature that's written by a woman who's giving advice about how not to have a horrible relationship. And it's chock full of brilliance. Um, if you want to look it up, it's found in Proverbs chapter 31. And we're going to start in verse 10. And I want to read you this. And I want to make, pull some commentary out of it and maybe unpack some things that maybe you've not really thought about inside of this passage before. Um, Proverbs chapter 31, starting in verse 10, it says this, who can find a virtuous and capable wife? She's more precious than rubies. Her husband can trust her and she will greatly enrich his life. She brings him good, not harm, all the days of her life. She's energetic and strong, a hard worker. She extends a helping hand to the poor and opens her arms to the needy. She's clothed with strength and dignity. She laughs without fear of the future. When she speaks, her words are wise and she gives instructions with kindness. Charm is deceptive and beauty does not last, but a woman who fears the Lord will be greatly praised. Now, before we sort of dive in and peel this thing apart, um, I, let me give you a little bit of context. This is basically a mom who's telling her son what to look for in a wife. And we don't have time to dissect this entire passage. It's chock full of goodness. So I just sort of drew out um, specific parts of it that describe her character. And I skipped over a bunch of the stuff that outlines sort of how she demonstrates her character in her cultural context. Like, for instance, we're not gonna dive into verse 13 that's like, she finds wool and flax and busily spins it. Because I don't want you being hung up this whole time being like, I don't even know where to get flax. How do you spin it? What even is that? I don't even know what we're talking about here. I guess the Lord is gonna be displeased and I will forever be celibate. Like, I don't want you to just feel trapped in the cultural examples because that's not really what this is about. This is about really lifting up like sort of the character traits that are desirable. And obviously this passage is written to a man about what to look like, about what to look for in a woman, but it could have easily be given to and really was in an ancient context to women 
about what to look for in a man because these traits really cross the, the, the gender lines. And so I want to go back and sort of draw out a few specific principles about what these things are. Um, and yet before I do that, I just want to highlight this. Can we all just appreciate that it starts with who can find? This is the best part of this whole thing. Have you ever found yourself thinking there's nobody good left? Like everyone out there are just, it's like just a pool of the worst humans ever. It's just, I mean, like the only ones who are like ever swipe right on my profile or slide into my DMs are, they're, they're garbage people is what they are. They're, it's horrible. I want to believe that it's a robot because I don't want to believe a real person could be this horrible. And guess what? This is not a new problem. Like some of us are like, man, the culture today is so horrible. Like this writer says that a good potential partner is as precious as rubies. And this is her way of saying, so, such an incredible find, it's rare. You ever found a ruby just lying on the sidewalk? You ever just been hanging out like at a Chuck E. Cheese and there's just like, you're, in the, you're trying to get your kid out of the ball pit and you're like, oh, but there's a huge ruby in here. Oh my gosh. It's incredible, but probably not, right? Because they're rare. And here's the implication. If you want to find someone to, to share your life with, there's a search involved. There's a search involved. And searching is exhausting. It takes time and effort and energy. And most of the time, it involves a whole lot of looking with very little finding. And so some of you are just like, I hate the dating scene because it feels like I'm doing a whole lot of looking and not a lot of finding. Guess what? You're in good company. Mom's in the Bible. Like she had a prince on her hands and she was like, good luck. There is not a lot out there. I mean, you're going to have to look hard to find a ruby. It's going to be difficult. And I think the question is, if it is a search, what is it that you're searching for? And she answers that for us too. She says, someone who is virtuous and capable. And again, the, the traits the queen's listing are not just traits that she wants him to look for in someone, but traits she wants him to work for in himself, which is brilliant because the reality of it is you tend to attract what you project. And it brings up a really interesting question is like, are you the kind of person the person you're looking for is looking for? Are you aware of what you are putting off and putting out into the world? And is that attractive to the types of people that you want to attract? If you were to answer this question like, no, I don't think I'm the type of person that the person I'm looking for is looking for, um, why is that? And the answer to that question will probably surface a trait that if I were you, I would take a second look at. And this mom like gives some specific examples because she's like every mom, she's like, I don't want you to wonder what I'm talking about. I'm just gonna tell you what they are for you. And the first thing that that's, I think she sort of highlights through, through this passage is this. She's like, work to be and look to find someone who demonstrates integrity and responsibility. Work to be and look to find someone who demonstrates integrity and responsibility. And I would sort of file under this, like, they live according to a code of ethics. They do what they say they're going to do. They admit when they're wrong. 
Some of you are like, I just crossed a whole bunch of people off. That one did it. And I don't know about you, but when you hear these traits, I mean, talk about sexy. I mean, this is, there could be, I don't even know if there's a more arousing list. Like somebody who lives according to a code of ethics does what they say they're going to do and admits when they're wrong. Wow, somebody fanned me off. (laughs) And here's the good news. Like, it's great that this tops the list because these are things you can control. If you're trying to do this, let's be real. Like, like there's only so fit you can get in general as a human and just like you with your genetics, right? There's only so much money you can make in general and also just in your set of circumstances and skill set. There's only so far you can push that up. But like when it comes to your character, you can always grow and deepen that. You can always improve that aspect of your life. Notice like I use the word demonstrates, meaning like you don't just like feel like they have integrity. You don't just hope they're responsible. Like you and those around you have seen evidence of these traits time and time again. You don't feel and hope you've witnessed and I think so much of the time we get caught up in just like, and like, well, do you know, they're a person of integrity. Are, like, do they demonstrate responsibility? I feel like they could, you know, given the, the, the chance, you know, they've, I think they've had 32 years of chances. What, like, is there nothing? There's nothing we can point to. I would tell you, like, when it comes to choosing a partner, patterns are way more important than potential because what people have done is the best representation of what they will do. And sometimes we're like, but when I come into their life, it'll be so magical. They'll be so different. No, they won't. You will just be annoyed all the time. They're going to continue being exactly who they were. And man, do not buy this lie. Trust me, girl, I'll change. Great. I'll be over here. And, uh, you know, once these changes have actually worked their way into your everyday behavior, and I and the people I trust have gotten to see actionable proof of them, then we can talk. I'll forget you. Oh, wow, that's interesting. So you haven't changed. That's fascinating. And I think there is, like, a a reason that the advice giver starts here. Because life happens, right? Like, uh, things change in life. Situations surprise us. Seasons shift. Disappointment finds us. This is all inevitable. And when all of these things eventually happen, how the person, how will the person that you've partnered with respond to things not going the way that they had hoped and prayed they would? Because the answer to that question has a lot to do with how much you're going to like your life. And this mom is saying, pick someone who's proven that they will do the right thing under pressure. And even more so, seek to be the type of person that others can rely on to do the right thing under pressure. Then the mom goes on. She says uh, her husband can trust her. She enriches his life. She brings him good. She's strong and energetic, a hard worker. She extends help to the needy. 
In other words, she's saying work to be and look to find someone who works to make everything around them better. And you know people like this, right? People that when they show up, you're excited and also relieved because there's something about them that lightens, uh, that like lightens and livens up the room and also lightens the load. Because when they show up to something, there's something about them that is positive and proactive. They're not satisfied to sit on the sidelines. Wherever they are, they're like, hey, I, you know, I'm, I'm willing to jump in. You know, what can I do? They encourage other people. They lend a hand, even if it's outside of their interest or skill set. Like I was thinking about examples of this and I, like, this is my daughter, right? So if you were hoping to marry her, get in line, buddy, okay? It like, <laughs> but like, that's great that that's her, but is this you? Do you show up to every environment and wonder right away, how can I help? Do you look for ways to leave every single situation better than you found it? Is it your goal to leave every interaction with whatever person is in front of you, having made them feel more loved and valued and seen and secure. Some of you are like, that does sound like a ruby. I don't know if I've seen one of these people. And yet, if you were to partner with somebody like this or become somebody like this, that partnership would be unstoppable and unbreakable. She goes on to say, uh, she's clothed with strength and dignity. She laughs without fear of the future. Her words are wise and she's kind. In other words, um, work to be and look to find someone who is confident, kind, and laughs easily. What an interesting set of things for a mom to be like, top of the list, laughs easily. And essentially what the mom is saying, like, find someone who knows who they are who knows what they have to offer, who leans into their strengths. Find someone who's not afraid to share their insights and opinions boldly, who is confident without being overly confrontational or condescending to other people, who prepares in advance, but then when they show up to something, they fully trust God in themselves to make good decisions and do the right thing in the moment. How do you get there? Because that sounds like that's amazing. I would love to find that person. I would love to become that person. And I would tell you, confidence comes from processing through your pain instead of pushing it down. A lot of times what prevents us from actually living confidently is we're carrying around the weight and worry of our past experiences and it's preventing us from living life to the full in the present. Because when hurt and pain came our way, we pushed it down instead of trying to work it through. And it's had an impact on us. You know what's hot? Guys who go to therapy. All the people that are clapping chair are eligible single women. I just want you to know that. <laughs> They're like, yeah, yeah. Like, did you just get turned on? Like, no, no, no. What, 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 like the things that are actually like sexy are people who are not afraid of recovery, of people who allow themselves to be held accountable by other people who are going to push them to be better and grow. And what does all this have to do with laughing? Because when you're not weighed down by worry and insecurity, you can actually enjoy your life. And you know what? People can tell. 
that you're enjoying your life. And it's infectious and it's attractive. And the reason why you end up laughing easily is because you're looking for excuses to. This is who you want to find. This is who you want to be. Someone who's like, no matter what happens, I, like, you can't make me not like my life. I am too determined to enjoy my existence, to be sabotaged by whatever else is going on. In fact, you throw the worst circumstances at me, I'll find something funny about it. I'll find something fun inside of it. I'm not going to ignore it. I'm not going to not deal with it. But I am not going to allow myself to be defeated by worry and anxiety. It's not that I don't have these things. It's that I don't let them boss me around. Then she goes on to say, Charm is deceptive and beauty does not last. But a woman who fears the Lord will be greatly praised. And essentially what she's saying here is work to be and look to find someone more focused on pursuing God than presenting themselves well. Like it is, it's a good thing to take care of your body and you should, right? If you are just like, I'm only taking care of my soul and so that's why I don't really care about my body. Then you don't understand what we talked about last week that your soul and your spirit and your body, these things are all merged And so caring for one does involve caring for the other. But if all you do is care for your body, you are a hollow person. And our culture is obsessed with youth and style and fitness, which is all great, but they are pathetic priorities. If this is top on your list, that's a sad thing because you can look good on the outside and be rotten on the inside. Find somebody, she's saying, who is better on the inside than they are on the outside. Because the truth is, everybody's going to get older and chubbier and saggier and wrinklier. Looks don't last. And that's why Jesus tells us, Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, it's one of the most famous things Jesus said, seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously and he'll give you everything you need. If you are wasting your life sitting around waiting for God to give you something that you think you need and you're not seeking him, you haven't done what he gave you to do, but you're expecting him to do what you want him to do. And he's just like, would love to do that. Let's let's focus on what you can do, what you can control. And not only should you seek God first, you should be seeking someone who is seeking God first. I would say you would be smart to find someone who has more love and respect for God than they do you. Because if they do, they're going to treat you well. Like grab hold of somebody who is busy building godly character, not just their beauty or their bank account. Now, at this point, as you're reflecting on these four things, like maybe you're thinking like, that's great, but I've been married for a long time. So what do I do? Because, I mean, like, it's too late to go back and uh, find that person. Um, hmm. And honestly, I mean, I got to just be real with you. Like, I'm not the weak link, okay? I mean, I'm just, I'm just being real with you. I mean, but I feel like we would be such a great relationship if they would just do this, if they would just understand, if they would just start, if they would just finally. And some of that may be true. But I would have to ask you in return, 
is there really nothing you can do? Like you got it all together and it's entirely them? Because last time I talked to them, they said it was all you. I got to tell you, like, if there's nothing in your life you can work on, A, you might be Jesus. <laughs> so let's talk. B, man, you're in trouble because you can't control them, which you've already figured out if you've been married any amount of time, like five minutes. But I would tell you, like, a partnership is only as healthy as the people in it. And the only person you can take ownership of is you. And if you are spinning your wheels and wasting your time trying to fix them, you're the problem. Because you have let go of the one thing that is your responsibility to do, to work with God on you. Like, this is a good question I would ask. Like, married, single, divorced, undecided. I would ask yourself this. Am I more focused on finding or fixing someone else or working on myself? Single people, are you more focused on trying to find someone else than working on yourself? But like if I found someone, then I, would, then I could just stay the same. You know, I don't have to work on anything because I don't want to. I've saved a few things on the list because it's like they're the hardest. I don't really want to do that, right? Or maybe you're in a marriage and you're just like, I would love to do my stuff, but I'm always working on stuff. So I'm not going to deal with this until you do some work, okay? In fact, I made a list of the work that I think you should do. <laughs> Number 132. I think, right? That's going to go nowhere. In fact, the more you try and fix them, the more they'll probably rebel against you to spite you. Isn't marriage fun? <laughs> the best chance you have is to look in the mirror, to surround yourself with other people and to begin to work on yourself. And I would tell you, like, if you're thinking about, like, man, I might need to do that, now is a great time to start because the truth is you only get so much time in the theme park to become who you really are. I can tell you, I don't go to theme parks very often, but when I do, um, I have a trick, a strategy that I follow, and that is I go with people who are obsessed with that theme park. I go with people who go a lot. And I know several of these people, and the reason why I do this is because they know which rides are worth it and which ones aren't. They know how to navigate the crowd they've been there a million times. They know like what is the best time to do which things. They know where to park. They know which cart has the best churros. <laughs> you go with that person, it feels like cheating, right? Why would I want to stumble around blind in a theme park when I spent a bazillion dollars for a one-day pass when I could cheat? I could bring a bunch of guides with me who are like, okay, here's the inside scoop. We park over here. We sneak in this back door. We give this guy $20. He'll put you in a Donald suit. You will go. Like, this is what I want to know. Give me the hacks. Why do I want to learn the hard way? I don't. And I got to tell you guys, this is why we're always telling you, get on a team. Get in a group. 
Because you need deep relationships with people of faith who care about you, who will listen to you, who will tell you the truth, who will leverage their success and their many failures to save you a lot of time, energy, and worry. Because here is the good news. You don't have to figure it all out on your own. You're not meant to. Find people whose relationships are worth looking up to, not because they're perfect, but because they seek to be godly and they've made it this far. Find those people and allow them to invest in you and encourage you and challenge you and advise you. One of the the wisdom writers in the book of Proverbs says it this way. Plans go wrong for lack of advice, but many advisors bring success. Why would you sneak around on your own and try and figure it out for yourself? That's a dumb plan for someone with limited time in the park. You ought to gather up people that will help you become the best version of yourself to highlight the best parts of you, to work on the parts of you that are dysfunctional, that are stuck in the past, that are wallowing in pain, that, that have an awareness of what you're projecting that you don't, that want to help you move forward. Because the truth is, you don't need to be part of a couple, but you do need to be part of a family. And this is, I think, the best gift the church has to give you a loving community that you fit with, that you can laugh alongside, that you can learn from and contribute to regardless of your relational status because they love you for you, not because of the one relationship you're a part of. I gotta tell you, like that is one of my favorite things about a healthy church when a healthy church works is that everybody has value. Everybody has purpose. Everybody is seen. Everybody gets a voice. I'm telling you, you need to connect uh, if you're married with single people and invest in them and learn from them. Partner with them on things. If you're single, you need to get around married people, even old people. Find out what they know, what they see. Be a part of their lives. If you are single, you're missing out on the best thing that like, I think older married people have to offer, and that is free meals. <laughs> so, yeah, I would love to uh, pick your brain, just like, be, like see how you do your family. Like, what do you guys normally uh, eat? Um, six o'clock, six o'clock, five o'clock, I make that. I can make that happen. When you find yourself surrounded by your church family, you become better. You're fully seen. And you realize that this is the thing that you need most. And then anything else that comes after is bonus. I think that's what God wants to wake you up to. My prayer for you today is going to be that God empowers you to look for the right things, but to work on becoming those right things, because that is what is ultimately most important. Would you bow your heads across this room as we pray together? God, we are grateful for your love and your faithfulness. God, we are thankful that you made us to be us. You're not trying to make each of us like a homogenous copy of somebody else. You love our uniqueness. You are creative and you love to show off. 
God, you aren't wanting us to throw away the uniqueness of who we are, but you are wanting us to see ourselves as we are, to see the places that are beautiful and the places that are broken. And sometimes those are the same places. And God, you want us to be surrounded by people that we share our lives with, that we share our stories with, that we are open and honest with. And God, I pray that above all else, you would focus us on you, on becoming like you, on seeking you. And God, as we leverage all of our time and energy pursuing you, may you help everything else to fall in place. When we focus on that one thing, may you surround us with people that help us to become the best version of ourselves, the most Christ-like version of ourselves. And may there be something about that that is attractive to others, but may there be something about that that is fine if people don't get it because we know who we are, because we're happy with who you've made us to be, and because we're growing in you day after day. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thanks for tuning in to this week's message. We hope you heard something that spoke directly to where you're at right now in life. To find out more about our church, hit up our website, southhills.org slash corona, or follow us on social media at South Hills Corona. And if our messages have made a difference in your life, help us get the word out by rating and reviewing this podcast. And as always, you can support the ongoing work of our church by giving through our website at southhills.org slash give and selecting the Corona Campus. Thank you so much for listening. And we hope you'll join us again next week. God bless.